Thank you for joining us this afternoon. We are here with Dr. Kix Goldman, drawing from her book, Speak From Your Heart and Be Heard, Stories of Courage and Healing, and her years of experience as a therapist, mentor, and educator, psychologist Dr. Kix Goldman chats about heart-centered approaches to meeting the challenges of life. Speaking from my heart to you, a special Blue Heart session with Dr. Kix. Hello, I'm Dr. Kix Goldman, psychologist and author. I'd like to welcome you to our very first podcast in our series of Speaking from My Heart to You, a special Blue Heart session. And first, I'd like to introduce you to my accomplice, Randy Carson. Appreciate the introduction. Uh, again, my name is Randy, and I'll be here with Dr. Kix today and for many of the future podcasts. I'm going to act the part of technical engineer as well as occasional voiceover actor. You might be surprised what I'll pop up with. But again, I'm very excited to be here with you, and thank you for the introduction. Thank you, Randy. That's great. Um, on our show, we're going to be exploring a host of heart-centered topics. So this is what you can look forward to from our Blue Heart Sessions. We'll be taking you behind the scenes of my debut short story collection, Speak From Your Heart and Be Heard, to explore the experiences that ex inspire them. Our mission is to enhance self-empowerment and emotional well-being and to encourage creative dialogue. So, again, welcome. Today we'll be talking about pathways to resilience and healing. Now I've invited Randy to help us deconstruct all of this, and I'm so delighted that he could be with us today. We both hope that you'll enjoy our sessions as much as we enjoy doing them. And I just wanna put in a plug for Randy. He's got a great background in many, many things in life, including technical expertise. So he's the, the engineer. Um, Randy, I've been thinking a lot about how important resilience is in our lives. That word mean for you? Well, I think what it means to me, and this may be overly influenced by what's going on in the world right now, but I think resilience is the ability to recover quickly from any sort of uh, curves that life may throw you. Hey, that's great. That's a great uh, definition. The dictionary defines resilience as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, toughness. Now, the inspiration for today's topic, which got me thinking about resilience, is therapist Abigail Morehouse from my story, Sex Education. You can find this in the collection. I'd like to tell you a little bit about it. Dr. Abigail Morehouse is a famous therapist recognized for her work on sexuality and intimacy. Sister Peggy approaches Abby and persuades her to teach a premarital pre class to Catholic couples. Now, Abby has been teaching classes at the Divine Retreat Center for several years, and they even gave her the award for Most Valuable Trainer. So... But she's at first reluctant and, and then finally agrees. She, why was she reluctant? She doesn't plan to include her modern views on sexuality because she feels cautious about challenging church views on sex and abstinence. 
Wow, that sounds like a crazy undertaking. Yep, you got it. It really it was actually based on one of my real life adventures. I didn't realize you were that adventurous. Sounds like you, I mean, Abby, jumped into the fire. It was fiery, all right. In the story, as the sessions progress, students ask for more information about sex. So, in spite of her misgivings, Abby treads softly into a class discussion and introduces her modern ideas to the class. The class is in an uproar. Although many students are intrigued and supportive, Others are critical or furious. Edgar and another man accuse her of violating church teachings. Edgar bangs his fist against the desk and says, this discussion and the words you're using are out of order. The church doesn't condone it. It's morally wrong. And then when the Paris priest priest hears about the class, he, he declares, blasphemy. The church should be ashamed of itself for letting a woman, a psychologist of all people, talk of such things. Shame. And Abby says, after some of the students have attacked her, I laid awake that night after class. A running replay invaded my brain. I could hear the women giggling and see Edgar's crimson face, his fist pounding the desk. Might have been a good time for a friendly type of class discussion. Some dialogue, maybe? Yes, Randy, that would have been ideal, but it didn't happen. Not only that, the priest sees to it that Abby is stripped of her award that she'd been honored to get from the church. How did she deal with all that? Well, after the priest brands Abby as a sinner, she learns he's a man dealing with his own demons. She confronts him with evidence of his misdemeanors. I'm curious as to how that all played out. Yes, I invite you and our listeners to read the story and to get the whole picture. So, in thinking about our topic of resilience today, I thought of Edgar, the character in my story, banging his fist on the desk. Resilience and compassion were not his strong suits. Edgar certainly wasn't open to different points of view. No. You know, one day my husband asked me about him. He said, whatever happened to Edgar? You know, the characters in my stories become so real that they become part of my world. Our world, actually. I've heard writers say that. So what did you say when your husband asked about Edgar? Well, I said, like so many of us, Edgar was really stuck. I imagine he found it difficult to be compassionate, even toward himself. So meditation teacher Sharon Salzberg says, resilience is based on compassion for ourselves as well as compassion for others. And that made me think of Edgar. Like Salzberg, I think there's something that needs to happen before we can be open to other points of view. What is that? I believe that we first have to understand how we as individuals can recognize and accept the different parts within ourselves. So as Sharon Salzberg said, show compassion for ourselves. Edgar, as I thought of him when I wrote the story, had experienced a lot of criticism and internalized it. As a result, he saw himself as flawed. Now, most of us have these internal conflict splits I think of them as warring parts, 
A common inner conflict is between the judgmental part of us, which criticizes or attacks the sad, vulnerable part. The critic could even be drawn from a family member or an influential person in our lives, like a mother or father. Kind of like when we criticize ourselves or feel like we're beating ourselves up for something we've done. Exactly, Randy. Right on. I wonder if some of our listeners have experienced this kind of inner conflict between two opposing parts of themselves. Well, I certainly have. I I think the most often situation that I run into is, at least from a guy's perspective, we're always expected to be tough, know-it-all, don't have to ask any questions, don't have to rely on anybody else, and most of all, don't get lost. (laughs) Don't ask directions. (laughs) But, you know, in reality, most guys are just like anybody else. We, we get into this conflict between, you know, who we're supposed to be according to the culture and who we really are inside. Yes. Uh, I imagine many of our listeners could relate to that. I believe our first task is to resolve these splits between our warring parts. Our goal is for the vulnerable or experiencing part to feel accepted by the critic. So Edgar reminds me of a client that I worked with, actually. The client would often get sick as a child and would have to leave the table after his father criticized him at at the dinner table. Like my client, Edgar has been brought up by a strict, overbearing father. So he carried that with him as an adult and needed to be proper and right at all times. He couldn't consider any new ideas that might be a threat to his father's moral teachings. I'm curious, how could you help a person like Edgar to feel self-compassion, become more open? I'm glad you asked, Randy. I thought perhaps our listeners might like to eavesdrop on a simulated therapy session with Edgar. And, Randy, I wonder if you'd agree to play the part of Edgar today. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. Great. Okay, so I'm going to call you Edgar now. Let's suppose we've met a few times and you and I have developed a trusting relationship. You feel understood and supported by me. So, listeners, this will be a mini session, shorter than usual. I just want to give our listeners, give you a snapshot. We'll be doing this session using two-chair work. What happens in this process is that I set up another chair across from yours so that you can move between the two chairs. In one chair is the harsh, judgmental, critical part of you, the one that beats up on you or tries to keep you in check, and then the other chair is the part of you that's upset or sad or feeling worthless or helpless. I call it the soft experiencing part. Edgar, you've done this two-chair work before and you're familiar with the process. So here's the scenario. You come in for session six, very upset, You've had a fight with your father. He yelled at you, as usual. And it's become quite clear that your inner critic is your father. You never felt loved or protected by him. So you look at me and you say... I've been very upset. In a funk, actually. I told my dad what happened in our marriage class, that the teacher talked about sexual intimacy. My dad started yelling and preaching at me. It was humiliating. Yes, I can hear it in your voice. What was that like? I felt worthless. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, I understand, Edgar. 
I wonder if you'd be willing to put your father in the other chair. Well, okay. Let's find out more about this. So, Edgar, can you move to that other chair and speak to that sad, hurt part of you, the part that feels worthless, but speak to that part as your critic? You know, it's morally wrong to talk about things like that. You've never lived up to my expectations for you. Edgar, can you sit back in your chair now and tell your dad how you feel when he says that? I really tried to live up to your expectations, Dad. I followed what you've taught me. I told that teacher, that woman, it was wrong. Well, you haven't, Edgar. I had such plans for you. I can't seem to find my way, Father. I don't feel confident in myself. Son, I wanted you to be a priest. Edgar, the man I never was. And now, I feel like a failure. As the conversation continues, and Edgar moves between the two chairs, his critic, his father, shows signs of supporting him, and Edgar begins to feel less shame. So I might say to him, can you tell your father what you want from him? Go ahead and tell him. Dad, I want support from you. I understand. You need my support. What was that like for you, Edgar, to hear those words from your dad? It made me feel really good. I've waited so long. Perhaps you'll soon be able to talk differently to each other. The session in my studio or online would be more developed and longer, of course. So as we can see from the conversation, Edgar's internal critic, who represents his father, has begun to soften toward him. It will be an important step, helping him to accept himself and grow his compassion. Now, that would be quite an achievement. Yes, yes, indeed. This two-chair work is a process that helps a lot of people. The client may want to do more sessions in order to further resolve this inner conflict. Um, And sometimes one or two sessions work quite well also. So if we can work to resolve our inner conflicts, we'll also be more open to dialogue with others. and And it'll help us consider other points of view. Thanks, Kix. I like the idea you mentioned of the importance of dialogue, congenial dialogue. Well, for sure. Thinking about what happened in the story, sex ed, I'm wondering if the outcome could have been different if the students in the class, including those who'd accused Abby of blasphemy, had been involved in a reasoned and thoughtful dialogue. Yes. As it turned out, the group missed out on a potential opportunity for a congenial exchange of ideas. Right on. But in the end, Abby was called upon to draw from her resilience, to stand up for her beliefs, and to fight for her professional life. So how can we be open to differing points of view and still stand up for our own beliefs and speak out? That is the second part of the question about pathways to resilience, and it'll be the topic for one of our next podcasts. And we certainly invite you to join us. 
So I just want to leave you with a quote. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. That's a quote from the famous psychologist Carl Jung. That is a great quote to end the podcast session on. I do want to mention to our listeners, get to the bookstore, buy a copy of Dr. Kix's book. It's an awesome read. I would highly recommend it. We're coming into the holiday season. Get several and give them to your friends and family. You won't regret it. They will thank you for such a great gift this holiday season. But until we get to there, I have a quote I'll leave you with every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars to change the world. I appreciate spending the afternoon with you, and we will look forward to listening to you again and seeing everybody in our podcast the next go around. Thank you. We'd love to hear from you. Perhaps think back on your life and a time when you felt especially empowered. What was it that helped you feel that way? What kind of learnings helped? What support systems did you have? Or perhaps you felt judged or criticized. What was that like for you? What has worked for you and what hasn't? And what is it that has helped you heal or not? If you'd like to share your story, we'd love to hear from you. Your words and identity are always confidential, of course. We can be reached at mailbag at drkicksgoldman.com. Let me spell that out. Mailbag at drkixgoldman.com.